Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode three for season nine. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 20th of April, 2019, and is sponsored by Triple Byte. That's Byte, B-Y-T-E. I am Drew Freeman, here with my Google I.O. bound season nine co-host, Jen Bailey. Thanks, Drew. On this episode, we have Peter Steinberger. Peter founded and bootstrapped PS PDF Kit in 2011, and has since expanded the company with the goal of providing the highest quality PDF framework for all platforms. While Peter is responsible for the day-to-day management of the team, he never misses the chance to go under PS PDF Kit's hood and get his hands dirty with writing and debugging code. Peter has worked with iOS since the inception of the iPhone and is regularly invited to speak at conferences around the world. He also organizes Cocoa Heads, a meetup for developers that work with Apple platforms. Prior to PS PDF Kit, he worked as a senior iOS engineer at a startup in San Francisco and taught iOS and Mac development at his alma mater, the Vienna University of Technology. And in this episode, we're going to discuss Objective-C versus Swift. Mm-hmm. Is Objective-C becoming a commodity language that's harder to find expert coders in? And later, I'll dive back into my project to talk about my least favorite UI element. And we'll chat about possibly the upcoming potential from Marzipan. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I am so glad. And just so our, our listeners know, where are you located currently? Oh, I'm, I'm in Vienna, in Austria. I mean, I grew up somewhere in the rural no man's land of Austria. And then I, I moved to Vienna to study. And I ultimately stayed here, even though I had this small detour uh, with living in the U.S. Uh, I, I would love to see Austria at some point. The furthest east that I have traveled in Europe is just about five or ten minutes over the Nederland border into Germany. I haven't made it far enough east to hit Austria as of yet, but it's it's on my list of places that I would love to see. Yeah, you would love, and I really for you would love today for those of uh, for those watching it uh, on the YouTube uh, screencast. We have a beautiful picture of the TARDIS exploding over Peter's head. So having a Whovian here <laughs> is always a bonus. <laughs> Very nice. Although I have to admit, I only seen the, was it 2005 and newer? You know, there's so much to it now. This is, I mean, what is it? It's going on almost 15 years since the show's been yeah. back. It's almost been back as long as it was away. So so let's start with PS PDF Kit. I'm assuming the PS is for Pete Steinberger. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then... I mean, I mean, you know the story, like two letter namespaces were the cool thing in 2007. And then and at some point Apple said, hey, you can't have the two letters. We have the two letters. You need three letters. But then I figured, well, PDF is too generic. And actually Apple also internally used some PDF as a prefix. So I couldn't use that. And then PSP, yeah, it's kind of like PlayStation. PSD, it's even worse. Like, it's like nothing made sense. So I was like, oh, whatever. We just make PSPDF. Nobody will ever have that. Nobody will be able to spell it, but it'll be fine. And it's not, it, it was fine. And if Apple ever uses it, well, they're going to have to catch up with you. Yeah. So apart from the name, and we understand how the name comes about, <laughs> why, did you decide, why did you decide to make a, a toolkit for PDF? Honestly, I mean, it, it is kind of a little bit random because 
you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to make a PDF firmware. This is going to be the next <laughs> 10 years of my life. You know, there's like a lot of weird things in life, but that didn't happen. What actually happened was that I was at the Nokia developer days. That was like a long time ago where Nokia was sponsoring a, a mini conference about mobile development. And I met someone there who told me about, uh, you know, it was the time of iPad 1 and Everybody was crazy about magazines and Steve Jobs will save the publishing industry. And they built this magazine app and they told me, oh, it's great. Uh, the only problem is it sometimes crashes. And I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> and we didn't even, yeah, it was, they were really easy. So I just got the code. I started looking at it and I just looked at it and kept looking at it. And it's kind of like, you, you look at an accident and you don't want to look at it, but you also can't look away because <laughs> it's just like so horrible. So what I saw was actually in retrospect kind of ingenious because the people who worked on there clearly had no understanding about the platform at all. They used multiple UI windows to simulate tabs. So you had like, I think every screen was a UI window and they just put it to front when you change something and it somehow kind of worked. And there also was like a thousand of leaks and, you know, it was still like manual memory management. Uh, there was no really good analyzer. So everything was kind of like a little, a little too released, a little much to retain a few cycles. Uh, I, I put on my gloves and fix it up as good as I could. And it crashed less. But I also told those people, I also told them, well, well, it, it's like, okay, it, you can now read magazines for a while. Eventually it dies, but it's much better. It doesn't die instantly. I also told them like, it's like this, it, it felt like this house of cards where, okay, that's all I'm willing to touch. So if you want me to continue working on it, I'll just rewrite it. And they was like, are oh, you insane? This took half a year. And I'm like, I'm doing it in four weeks. Well, it turns out, you know, estimations, you always have to like multiply by P. So ultimately it took me almost 10 weeks to basically rebuild uh, what they had in the app. But I found it really interesting, really challenging. You had, you had the iPad one, it only had 64 megabyte of RAM in total. So if you got really lucky, your app maybe got 40 or 50 megabyte. Rendering a PDF could take up to 30. So you had to be really careful what you did in the background and how you schedule things around and like how many images do you keep? You know, you want to kind of, when you scroll around, it should not always flash, but should already be preloaded. So there was a lot of trying things out, like how far can I push the device? How smooth can I make it? And then how smooth can I make the rotations? I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I mean, business-wise, probably I spent a little more more time on it than than it was worth it. But it was really fun, and I worked with them and like helped them to maintain the app for a while. And then a friend asked me, "Hey, you built this this PDF app? Can I can I have uh, that part?" Because it's hard, because they tried, right? And it, yes, it's hard, <laughs> I know, I, I, I did it. So I was like, yeah, why not? Um, 
I, I refactored everything. So I kind of made this into a framework. This was long before there were frameworks. So it was just like, okay, mm-hmm. remove all the things into a folder. And this is our framework. And I, and I renamed it. And luckily everything was, was fine with the rights. I wrote it. And I resold it to my friend. Um, and then I figured, okay, if he wants it, maybe there's more people. So I, I, I put up the website. This was like, oh, I used a WordPress template. I'm not really good with website designs. So I just <laughs> mutilized yeah. a, Word, a free WordPress template until it kind of looked like what I had in mind very roughly. And then I... I used Twitter for like, okay, how can I sell things online? And somebody said Fastspring. Uh, so I just went with them and it, it was easy enough to set up. Um, so I had all the things running in another day. And for hosting, I just uploaded a zip file to Dropbox. with like a little bit of a, a folder name that is hard to guess. And that was my setup. And then I tweeted, hey, I built this thing. That is really cool. I think... Uh, so many of that that there I, I I know most software that you uh you wind up being asked to fix is is basically a train wreck that that you look at and you go well this is a mess and and then the refactoring begins and 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 I congratulate you because I know that I've uh, I've refactored so many pieces of code into my own uh, basically library off to the side. And I'm like, God, it'd be so wonderful if I could just resell all of these libraries. So first of all, congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm assuming that that, PD, uh, that, that PSPDF kit is uh, all Objective-C, or at least it was uh, when you started it. Yeah. When I, when I started, I was actually very much against C++. So it, I tried to have it all Objective-C, and then all the performance critical parts I just implemented in C. So I wrote my own linked lists and oh, wow. um, <laughs> like like uh, arrays that don't have to box the numbers. Uh, um, most of the time I actually used CF array. You know, you can use this trick where you store a pointer that is not released or retained. And that pointer really is just the number in itself. So you, you save the cost for the boxing and unboxing. <laughs> Back in the days, you could do so many fun things to make things faster in loops. Like uh, instead of calling ultimately objective C message send, you would cache the imp, the implementation, call it directly. And in a loop, <laughs> you could really see the difference. So I used a lot of fun tricks to make it fast. This was my my number one goal. Like it should be fast. It should be easy to to integrate, and I had a lot of fun with it. And then uh, I put it up, and in the first week, a few people bought it, and then the emails started. So, <laughs> oh, this is great, but what about search? What about the outline? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. What about links? What about this? What about thumbnails? What about, and it's like suddenly, before I could write anything back, I had like this list of 100 features, and now, and hey, I also got money. And uh, something I also need to, so you see the whole context. I. I only ever saw it as an experiment on the side because I was actually waiting for my visa to move to the U.S. So you said that you got to take advantage of some of the really wonderful old hints and tricks that you could do with Objective-C, Yeah. which leads to the question, if this were done in Swift today, would you consider it to be a lot easier, especially with having to write some of that memory management or some of those algorithms? Well, Swift is really, really nice for building UI. It's less to type. It's 
It's nicer to read. You have some really nice data structures. Yeah, I guess it, a, a few things would have been simpler. Then there's also a lot of parsing and data management. Well, I'm not sure I would have gotten as much benefit. I mean, the other problem also is that our SDK on the, on the iOS side is used natively. It's used by people who still write Objective-C, people who already write in Swift. Then we have ports for Xamarin, for App Accelerator, for Cordova for React Native, for Flutter. Wow. Um, all these bindings, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work to main, maintain all these bindings. Um, they're all not ready for Swift yet. So uh, I think with React Native, there's a lot of massaging, and if the moon is in the right position, you can do all Swift. <laughs> do you have to swing a dead cat over your head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, you need some birds. <laughs> All the other rappers are not really ready for. I mean, I guess you could use add Objective C and then ultimately make Swift generate an Objective C API. But then you lose most of the benefits of Swift again, because mm -hmm. all the cool things you can use when you don't have to have these Objective C restrictions are um, patterns. So. It was never the question really, should we release a Swift-only API because all these, all these other clients wouldn't benefit. What we did was we built a, a wrapper in Swift that wraps the, the most commonly used classes, document, um, the main document view controller, and make those a little bit nicer to use in Swift. And we thought everybody would love it. Almost nobody uses it. Mm. Really? Turns out, like, it, it does make some API a little bit nicer, but it also, like, is yet another thing that you need to add to your project, right? So some people like it, but most people just don't care because it's, it's not that much better that they would actually consider switching. Um, we have some ideas to, like, make it better. And once uh, Swift has module stability, we hope that we can somehow shove it into the main SDK. Swift 5, we finally have our ABI. Yeah, yeah, we have, I know there's like a lot of mysteries. I guess I gave a beautiful talk in, in, in Paris about that, about the, wow. the road to Swift ABI compatibility. And back then, it, there was no date yet for module stability you know we also need a stable header we don't just need the mm -hmm. right yeah the, the stable abi but also the stable headers and i think this is now in swift 5.1 so technically after that you could do all swift frameworks as a all swift binary frameworks where you don't give away the source code um I don't think it will change anything for us, though. You mentioned that you had fun um, programming the rotation. Um, was there anything interesting you'd like to describe uh, through that process? <laughs> well, that changed. That also changed a lot. So in the early days, I think one of the things that iOS really did well was the way they approached rotation. Whereas on, on Android, you rotate, and then like a few seconds, nothing happens, and it's flashes, and then... Hopefully, the app is still there in kind of the same state. And then on, on iOS, you, you could rotate it and you actually saw the page like rotating and like shrinking a little bit or even cooler when you had it in, in portrait and you rotate it to landscape. And it's a magazine. Then we would, uh, there would, the second page would just come in. So you had this really, I mean, it's more like this. 
and then you rotate it and then the second page comes in. Um, getting that right was really hard. Like it should also be fast, right? If you do too much in this will rotate and did rotate back then it was still called like that. Then it would, it would stutter again. And there's all these implicit animations going on if you're not very careful. And I'm not sure how often we reworked this because was it like three or four times that Apple updated this API? And then ultimately there was no more rotation. I think was it I was seven, they said there's no more rotation. Now it's all animated bounce changes. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And now I think was it uh, more than a year ago, almost two years, we threw away all of that code. So we did like, you know, if you have a project that's sufficiently big, you can just rewrite it. It's like it's impossible. But we are taking parts, so maybe see, okay, this is now we know all of these problems and has these design limitations, let's redo it. And one of the most challenging projects was rebuilding how we how we present pages because you can have one page per screen, you can have two pages per screen. If you scroll, there should be two pages again. Some, some people want uh, continuous scroll, so you have like more like this road uh, continuous scroll should either be single page space single page or you have more like a magazine side where it's always two pages glued together magazines can have a cover page or not so this is also a setting um and then there's also page crawl so there's like and then there's like horizontal or vertical so ultimately you have a, a lot of different conditions that you all need to build and we basically, for all these modes, we had like different code paths and the one was a scroll in a scroll view and another scroll view. And it was, it was really complicated. And we had all these pixel rounding issues where, uh, okay, you had this magazine view, but there was like a line, well, not even a full line, but more like zero point something, but you saw it as like a little bit of white. So something somewhere was not rounded correctly. Or sometimes you round too much and you lose a pixel. And like debugging these things are really, really difficult, uh, especially because sometimes the PDF just has, it's just like 703.5 pixels wide, which doesn't make any sense, but you're gonna have to deal with it somehow. This year will be, I'm curious if, if Apple really becomes aggressive and starts to push new frameworks as Swift only this year. And I think the real question there and this might be a great uh, a great segue for us to talk about the second half, is that we do know that we're going to learn more about this evil creature known as Marzipan probably in about two months. A month and a half now, it's coming up really quickly. And in the second half of the show, I'm going to talk about some of the UI elements that I specifically have grown to truly hate. And maybe with Peter and Jennifer's help, we can talk about whether or not Marzipan will be... Uh, either uh, an Objective-C killer or will help us with some of these legacy UI elements. And that's all coming up in the second half of the show. But first, a message from TripleByte. We'll be back with the second half in just a moment. The RayWenderlich.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. This RayWenderlich.com podcast is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. 
You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater, and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's, no bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash Ray. That's triplebyte.com, byte, B-Y-T-E, as in 8 bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Thanks to our sponsor, TripleByte, for sponsoring this episode. That's Byte, B-Y-T-E. Now we're back to discuss one of Drew's least favorite UI widgets. So everything I've been talking about so far this season has come out of my experience with my own little coding projects. And I've been dealing with a UI element that I built from scratch that is a circular calendar that shows you where the sun and the moon are in the sky, which apart from straight up is, you know, you know, my son is in Aries this time of the year. One of the things that I wanted to do was be able to change the date that you're looking at. So where is the sun in the sky in August or October in 1973? Unfortunately, if you're on an iPhone and you want to, let's say, pick a date, you get to use the famous UI picker subclass UI date picker. And for lack of a better term, for an operating system that is not that old, for language that's not that old, this view is, to me, archaic. I have grown to truly despise this. The problem that I have right off the bat is that UI Date Picker is pretty much the only element that is actually rolled into the clock system and the date calendaring system. So it does do all of those wonderful things like if you try to select February 30th, it adjusts itself. It does these really nice things so that you can't pick invalid dates. Now, UI Picker has this wonderful thing that it will give you live feedback. So as you change it, you get feedback and you can actually update your UI in relationship to that picker in live time. Granted, there's no clear button or done button. So whenever you use UI Picker, you need to put in your own element to say, I'm no longer using it. You can't just say, I'm going to set it. So it's really an incomplete piece of UI. It's a UI element that you bring in. It does take up on, say, an iPhone SE 175% of the screen. <laughs> and it just seems like there's got to be a better way. And I have searched and I have searched and I have tried to come up with different things. And my app currently is using what I could best describe as a videotape or cassette jog mechanism, which if you ever use video editing, you can actually 
pull back, and the further back you pull, the faster it goes. And then you let it go, and it snaps back to zero. You push it forward, it'll speed up, and it'll speed up more and more the more you push it forward, and then you can let it go, and it'll snap back. So by using this jog mechanism, I pull back to back up by five seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, a day, a week, a month, a year. This is working but it's not exactly the fine control I could get off of the UI date picker. Which, remember, the UI date picker is a picker that will either let me use the date or it'll let me use the time. So I can't actually do fine control all at once. Um, no, I, I just think when, like, I look at this control and it, it kind of made sense when iOS came out and everything was very squaremorphic and mm -hmm. looked really real. But it was always like one of the weirder things, right? It clicked when you when you turned it. And it still kind of made sense in the whole paradigm. But with iOS 7, when they redid everything, it felt like they just ran out of time of thinking about something better and just removed the design from it. They basically removed the design from it. Everything is gray. You still have a little bit of a weird transform, but it doesn't really make any sense anymore it's just oh yeah we already wrote all of this logic it's too hard to do it completely to redo it completely so we just stick with it and i said i guess since then it just never made it to the top of the priority list again it felt like there should be work done but nothing happened and i i think you you hit one thing that's really essential there is that it really was a product of the skeuomorphism era of iOS. It really has that reach out and touch it kind of feel. It, yeah. it feels like a, a dial on an old clock that I, uh, an old date keeper I might have on my desk that every day I come into the office and I click it to see today's date is. But when skeuomorphism went the way of those who loved skeuomorphism at Apple, uh, they, they did. They erased a lot of the the touchability of it without taking away that element. I've also always found that element really fascinating because it really feels and plays like a Mac OS X table view. Where in OS X, your table views have multiple columns. And you really can click through and say, well, this column has this value, this column has that value. Which, of course, then you also realize that, well, we can't do that in iOS because iOS has the single column table view. And the collection view, as good as it is for showing you different things, does not give you that concept of a multiple columnar view. So effectively, UI Picker is a multi-columnar table with live feedback, unless you want the date picker, and then live feedback goes away. <laughs> so that leads me. So the big question, and that is, cometh June, we got a, a preview last year of, and, and the funny thing is, we're all calling it marzipan, but so far, as I've read and I've seen, nobody at Apple, as far as I've seen, has called it marzipan. Was it not the, I think it was actually the code name. I, I think it's the code name, but it was the real, I mean, of course, no official channel would call it Marzipan. They never used their code names. I think it is called Marzipan Inside Apple, but I remember when they introduced it last June, they didn't use the word Marzipan at all in WWDC. I could be wrong on this, and I may have to go, quote, back to the tape, 
but I don't think they actually called it Mars Event. But that aside, we know in June they're going to show us more of this project, whether or not that means we're going to get the ability to release Marzipan apps in September, October, whether that means we're going to get Marzipan Developer Preview 1, we're not quite sure. What do you think? I mean, I was sitting in in, in the, the audience at this very keynote where, I mean, I guess the most memorable thing was this giant no that slammed down the smoke effect. You know, is this going to replace you like uh, AppKit? No. Um, and I, I've seen some tweets from friends who work at Apple and like one was like, holy, they actually talk about it. You know, this was like a secret insert, even inside Apple. And like not many people knew that Apple would actually say something about it. And who knows, maybe it's because it actually leaked. Usually when things leak at Apple, they change the code name. But this was, it leaked too late, so they couldn't even change Marzipan anymore. So that's just the code name, and we know it now. Uh, I, I, want, I still wonder if, if, if they added this to the presentation. I mean, it was also at the very end to comfort people a little bit that AppKit will not die in two years. You should still make AppKit apps. It was probably a message. Um, but of course, it was super. Super interesting. I... Well, nothing at Apple dies in two years. It dies in four to five years. Of course. Apple, Apple says, we think you should show, we, we really think if you're going to create some new code, you should use this. But uh, we're not saying that your old code's going to go away. Yet. And then you have this app, uh, app kit, which is a little bit gnarly. Um, when you come from the iOS side, there's a few things that you seem really weird. We have a Mac SDK, so I know a little bit what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and a scroll view, anyone? Oh, God. Yeah. So so I completely understand that once Marcipan is out, I guess a lot of people will just use UIKit for new new projects. Of course, if you have something that's already out there, it's like a large code base, you can't mix and match. This is like the one thing that's a total no-no. And given how they built this technology, I'd be really surprised if they are able to change it. I can tell a little bit of the uh, the story, how I dug into Marcipan and, and ported PDF Viewer to the Mac. Uh, it was actually, uh, I, I committed to a conference in, in Prague. And I always like to pick topics very last minute. Like I want to talk about something that I work on currently or that is really interesting. So. Telling somebody a topic months in advance is it's really hard for me. I always tell people, are you okay if I'm a little late on the topic? Because I want to make <laughs> something like to make it. something cool and new. <laughs> so I think this was actually the first talk ever about Marzipan that I gave there. Unfortunately, uh, there was some technical difficulties, so it was not recorded. But I really scrambled to actually get something to show there. Because I, I like I really my goal was. What the hell? This has to work. I want to port our whole app to Marzipan, not just not just a table view or like a few buttons and examples. No, the whole crazy thing. Like it's more than a million of lines. It's C, C plus plus, Objective C, Objective C plus plus, even some Swift in there. Everything, just do it. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I built on the shoulders of giants, and there's a lot of people that are smarter than me that 
actually found out how to hack it, how to disable security on your Mac, this this crazy AMFI, get out of my way, disable security, uh, integrity protection, and then uh, <laughs> you still have to do all this massaging, set the development target to iOS 12, and then there's some other glue. I did all of that, and then eventually... It, it, compiling actually it compiled very quickly, but it took me a really long time to get the lingo errors down because there was just some things that were missing. There was, of course, uh, WebKit. Like everything that uses UI WebView, just not there. Like the, the approach from Marshall is it's deprecated. You don't get it. Um, so I had to like, I, I started manically just commenting out things in the code base, whatever. We don't need that. We don't need <laughs> inline web views. It's all not important. I want only the essential features. Like it's just for the conference, right? It's not a, it's not a dumb product. And then slowly the link errors went down. There was like, oh, photos framework. Like Apple in some ways really should itself in the foot because photos framework was kind of like designed to be the same but also not the same. Like there were a few things on the Mac that are different. So it linked to the Mac version, but I was using it kind of like with the iOS view. So I ultimately I removed all of that. And eventually, like after I commented out enough things, it actually linked. And it crashed at startup, obviously. But I was insanely happy that it linked. So then I started looking at the crashes and that you really went down the rabbit hole with this one. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I had so <laughs> much fun with it because what I only understood later on was my approach was wrong. <laughs> I used a specific hack that managed to link UIKit and AppKit into the same thing. And they are, they are different, but they're similar enough that they overlap. So one of the first crashes was that a method was missing on UI button called NS widget type. Uh, NS widget, I don't remember the exact thing, NS widget name, something like that. And it, I was like, what the hell? Like, what, what is that even? I'm not calling that. This is like stack trace from super deep in UI kit, something, something got overwritten. I'm like, well, let's use a category. Let's just edit, right? What, what, how, how bad can it be? So I just made a category in it. <laughs> And I was like, return zero. And then it crashed differently. It now crashed because it it used a CF dictionary and zero is not good there. So we're like, okay, return one. And it worked. And it was like there was like a there was like another bug. <laughs> and I did I did a similar approach. So at some point it was complaining about the aqua seam. Like a, on UI button, aqua seam was not there. So I like I I really use a hammer to like <laughs> yeah. do crazy things until it's somehow compiled. And then all the fonts were not rendered, but at least I had like this thing that kind of looked like it could work. Uh, and eventually I figured out that, well, if you actually make sure that AppKit gets not linked into it and AppKit came from Photos Framework, that's why I say this is the really evil thing. Um, then suddenly the fonts were there, like all this NS craziness that I added was not necessary. And a lot of it actually worked. It was, dare I say, reasonably good. <laughs> and there you have it, developers. 
<laughs> you are quite an optimist. <laughs> Modern jailbreaking has taken on a new face. <laughs> I caught the words crash differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now, so here's the question, because a lot of the hacking you're doing is with what you had available to you in iOS uh, and Mac OS that was released this past year. Yeah. We also know that there's a lot of stuff that will be in their servers that we will not see until the next releases. Do you think that they're going to be updating widgets? Do you think that they'll be, well, obviously they'll be including a lot more libraries that we don't have so that the compilation won't require quite the endeavor. But uh, for example, one of the problems with Objective-C, not Objective-C, one of the problems with uh, AppKit is that they wrote iOS looking at AppKit and saying, oh, here are all the mistakes we made. Let's do this from the ground up correctly. For example, having layer-backed views. Whereas in AppKit, they went, ooh, layers, that's a clever idea. Let's just glue layers onto the views and see how that works. But only if you want to. Only, only if you want to. So the question is, is this a chance with Marzipan for them to take a look at iOS and say, okay, here's a lot of what we did wrong and make adjustments and rebuilds and fixes when we see uh, possibly, well, there are two directions it could go. It could be a changed iOS that has elements that work in the Mac world better, or it could be a pared down iOS where it only provides certain elements that would work in the Mac world. Because remember, with with the Mac world and the desktop world, we're dealing with the single menus bar and obviously a click that's driven by a mouse that's driven by a trackpad as opposed to touching the screen. I really think Apple will go down the way to make it as compatible as possible. Their goal is to get more apps to the Mac. At least this is my theory. Why would you why would you do Marzipan? You want the App Store to have more things, the Mac App Store. So if they actually would use it to significantly change what's there, it will be complicated again. It's like why should I do it? I, I think they won't they won't go down that road. Or if you look a little bit longer term, and it goes a little bit back into the Swift discussion, I think eventually we'll get a new UI framework, not AppKit, not UIKit, but something new that's Swift-based, that's cross-platform, that uses hopefully something more like React style in terms of how you build your widgets. I mean, at least that's my wish and dream. And I think there are some rumors that go a little bit along the lines. I have no idea if we actually ever see it or how far along it is. But I think this will, Apple's, will, Apple, will be Apple's next rewrite in terms of ui but obviously having a complete ui framework is a lot of work pete i'm looking forward to seeing you at wwdc and i really yeah. really want to thank you for taking the time out this afternoon your time this morning our time the early morning jen's time to uh, to talk with us and uh again people can reach you at stypete on twitter and there'll be more information in the show notes, both about PSPDF kit and a lot of what we talked about. Next episode, we've got Sean Allen on the show, the bearded YouTube Swift expert. We once again want to thank Triple Byte, B-Y-T-E, 
for their sponsorship of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. But until the next episode, we go back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.